I hope we are meeting every demand that President Zelensky has, every request he has. We have to trust him to defend his own country, and we have to give him the means to do so. Big issues of race, abortion, judicial philosophy, a grueling marathon of debate for President Joe Biden's historic pick. Frankly, we're probably going to have more of a food issue uh, worldwide than a fuel issue worldwide because of this war. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden held a press conference after meeting with NATO leaders in Brussels on Thursday to discuss next steps in combating the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So was any progress made and did the alliance lay out any red lines or further warnings to Putin? Steve Began, former U.S. Deputy Secretary of State under Mike Pompeo, returns to the Guy Gordon Show. President Zelensky, in his address to the, 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 the NATO group, asked for military assistance without restrictions. Um, I don't know how much of his wish he got. He doesn't get a no-fly zone, and I did not hear of any new defensive or offensive military capabilities that were granted beyond the $800 million of I mean, the considerable $800 million commitment that the U.S. has already made. Is NATO a- answering him? Are they doing as much as they can uh, absent enforcing a no-fly zone? So here's here's what I'm hoping, uh, Guy, and I, and, and I I don't know what is being truly discussed behind closed doors. I hope we are meeting every demand that President Zelensky has, every request he has from NATO. We have to trust him to defend his own country, and we have to give him the means to do so. I'm not sure it would make sense to to uh, broadcast too much of that publicly. The Russians are Thank you. beginning to launch strikes against uh, weapons shipments, but I certainly hope we're giving it to him. The additional sanctions appear to be mostly directed at Russian parliament members um, and other, I guess, lower-level oligarchs. Um, But the president was very firm in saying that he believes that Russia should be booted from the G20 group. How significant is that? And he says that Ukraine should be invited. Yes. So um, the the new sanctions today, uh, and you know, we're we're rapidly approaching the point at which it's almost uh, there's almost no commerce or official contact with the Russians. 300 members of the Russian parliament, uh, about 40 defense companies or companies that support the Russian defense industry. And I think that these will have some impact, particularly the ones on the defense companies. In terms of the G20, uh, it's an important uh, symbolic step. Uh, It's not going to change Vladimir Putin's behavior, but it's going to signal to his own people that Russia is isolated in the eyes of the world. But keep in mind, Guy, that that meeting, uh, that G20 meeting's not until the fall in Indonesia. And we got a long, long way to go mm-hmm. before we get to that G20 meeting. How concerned are you about this story that was in the Washington Post suggesting that Russia is not taking calls from our senior military leaders as they try to avert any kind of miscalculation or misunderstanding, in, in, in the words of James Stavridis, sleepwalking into a shooting war? Um, yeah, so how for, concerned are you for, by that article? For decades, even during the darkest days of the Soviet Union, we've had hotlines and, and direct communications to avoid missteps and misunderstandings that could escalate a conflict between the United States and Russia. But this is a very dangerous moment. Yeah. And the fact that the Russians have cut off communications at the same moment makes it even more dangerous. I will say, though, that there's also some reports coming out of Moscow that the counterparts of our senior military officials, the Russian Minister of Defense and the Chief of General Staff, have not been seen in public now in over two weeks. And it may be the case that there's also been some internal purges in Russia, although right now we don't have any solid evidence to make that conclusion. In other words, they're not picking up the phone because they're in the gulag. Yeah, or or maybe locked up. Yeah, I 
Um, I, I know John Kirby said that we still have diplomatic officials there, and there are still, I, I can't remember the term that he used. I think it was de-escalation lines or something like that that are still in use, but it's not the senior-level members that are speaking. Um, yeah. Why is that senior leadership so important to have them communicate? Well, because these are the decision makers. And uh, and if you're going to head off a misunderstanding or a mistake or a response to something that's that's uh, incorrect, you've got to get right to the decision maker. And unfortunately, uh, their decision makers uh, aren't answering the phones. Now, we do have an ambassador there. Our embassy is still functioning. It's been whittled back to uh, to a, a skeleton staff. Our ambassador, John Sullivan, is very, very able diplomat. Uh, he's been there for uh, for a couple years now, and he, he knows what he knows his business. So there's there's contact. It's not that we're completely uh, without contact. We're handling some even some other issues uh, like the arrest of American citizens in Russia uh, through those diplomatic channels. But it is worrisome that the senior military officials aren't responding to the calls and, and even more worrisome if if they've been toppled in, in Russia's uh, a bit of drift at this moment as well. During the brief Q&A session with President Biden, he was asked repeatedly about, I guess, what you would call a red line, what the NATO response would be, should Vladimir Putin, and as you pointed out, they're taking this very seriously, should Vladimir Putin use weapons of mass destruction like chemical weapons or or biological weapons? Uh, The president at one point said we would respond in kind, and then he said we would respond based on their use. The, the scope of their use. Your, your response to that, and, and was that a misstatement to say we'll respond in kind? Yes, it was a misstatement because the United States doesn't any longer sustain chemical weapons as part of our um, military arsenal. The United States uh, abandoned chemical weapons once okay. uh, we signed the Chemical Weapons Convention in the 1990s. As, by the way, uh, Russia is also a signatory of that, but we know from their recent behavior that they still, uh, uh, against international law, have those weapons. I think the response is probably one of the two central issues being discussed at the NATO summit and at the EU summit uh, just playing out today in Brussels. The other issue is the uh, the cutoff of Russian oil and gas imports, and I suspect um, there will be some relationship between those two. There will be a severe reaction but it's not going to be the use of chemical weapons. The United States doesn't use chemical weapons. Well, and 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 he didn't draw a red line, but he also didn't say what we wouldn't do either, which I think would be a, it was was a responsible thing as well. Hearings to confirm Supreme Court Justice nominee Ketanji Brown Jackson were held this week in Congress. Jackson, who would be the first black female to serve on the high court, has been a judge for nearly a decade, currently serving on the U.S. Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C. WJR senior news analyst Lloyd Jackson covered the hearings with Paul W. Smith. Well, it was the first full day of questions yesterday, Paul W., for Supreme Court nominee Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson tackled the big issues of race, abortion, judicial philosophy, a grueling marathon of debate for President Joe Biden's historic pick. Now, for 12 hours, senators probed the judge's views on court packing when life begins and claims by Republican Senator Josh Hawley that she has been too lenient in sentencing child pornography offenders and is generally soft on crime. Senator Hawley brought up a case where Judge Jackson gave an 18-year-old defendant three months in prison after being convicted of collecting child pornography. Here you are giving him three months and apologizing to him and saying you feel sorry for the anguish it's caused him and also saying you think that sex offenders are truly shunned in our society. (laughs) Wow. Talk about that. Help me understand. I mean, is is he a victim? Is that your view here? Judge Jackson replied. (laughs) I remember in that case that defense counsel was arguing for probation, in part because 
he argued that here we had a very young man, just graduated from high school. He presented all of his diplomas and certificates and the things that he had done and argued consistent with what I was seeing in the record that this particular defendant had gotten into this in a way that was, I thought, inconsistent with some of the other cases that I had seen. Republican Senator Ted Cruz pulled out children's books available at Georgetown Day School, where Judge Jackson sits on the board to quiz her for her views about teaching the academic subject of critical race theory. One portion of the book says babies are taught to be racist or anti-racist. There is no neutrality. Another portion of the book they recommend the babies confess when being racist. Judge Jackson responded. To the extent that you were asking the question, I understood you to be addressing public schools. Georgetown Day School, just like the religious school that Justice Barrett was on the board of, is a private school. Okay, so, so you agree critical race theory is taught at Georgetown Day School? I don't know because the board is not, um, the board does not control the curriculum. The board does not focus on that. That's not what we do as board members. So I'm actually not sure. Judge Jackson added she does not believe any child should be made to feel as though they are racist. Meanwhile, Senator Lindsey Graham questioned Jackson about her defense of Guantanamo Bay prisoners while she was a public defender and a private attorney, questioning why she took certain positions, even though Judge Jackson said she was just defending her clients. Oh, Senator, I would I would refer you to the same sorts of statements that Chief Justice Roberts made when he came before the committee, which is that lawyers represent clients. I'm suggesting the Pretty system has failed miserably and advocates to change this system like she was in, was was advocating would destroy our ability to protect this country. I hope they all die in jail if they're going to go back and kill Americans. It won't bother me one bit if 39 of them die in prison. That's a better <laughs> outcome than letting them go. More questions today, Paul W. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. Um, hearing some of this for the first time because I'm not watching it because it doesn't matter. She's going to get the nomination no matter what. It's a numbers game, and the numbers are in her favor. A proposal by three House Democrats to mail every adult $100 a month any month. The average gas price is over $4 a gallon is headed to Congress for consideration. Does it have a prayer of passing Republican Representative Bill Heisinga on all talk with Tom Jordan and Kevin Dietz? I guess when you are a Keynesian uh, modern monetary policy uh, big spender, uh, you know, to, to take the old quote, uh, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, for these folks, everything looks like a spending opportunity. And here we go again, not getting at the root, root cause. Yeah, it seems like uh, Democrats are shifting the blame to the war between Russia and Ukraine as somehow that being the problem of inflation, that being the problem of the supply chain, that being the problem of gas prices. How, how do you see it? Well, it, it clearly is part of it, but it is not the cause of it. <clears throat> and that and that's the sad part is they're not willing to acknowledge really what uh, those root causes are. And uh, frankly, we're probably going to have more of a food issue uh, worldwide than a fuel issue worldwide because of this war. But uh, that's because of uh, Ukraine standing in, in not you know, coming and shipping food to us, but to so many other places around the world. 
but n- nonetheless, uh, you know, the, the simple fact is, uh, as you were pointing out, uh, the massive amounts of stimulus that has gone into our economy has helped cause this. It, it, the monetary policy, uh, some uh, uh, economists believe that that's up to 40 percent of everything that we're seeing. You add labor, which is exacerbated by the aforementioned stimulus checks. You mentioned fuel uh, and uh, and then supply chain. And, and it all wraps up into this massive amount of inflation that uh, that not that long ago, this administration was trying to sell off as temporary and transitory. And it's clearly not. Uh, obviously, people are, are hurting. They're trying to stretch their budget. Uh, a little uh, help at the gas pump right now uh, would feel good. But what would that do to us long term? Uh, again, all we're doing is distorting uh, the, the marketplace. And instead of getting at the root causes of, oh, I don't know, Keystone Pipeline and actually opening up our federal lands for leases, uh, those those things are causing uh, this inflationary pressure. And uh, it's a world market. It's a market that is influenced and affected uh, by the futures and uh, and what happens uh, and what happens in uh, in in the situation around the world is based on uh, is based on what people are willing to pay and uh, 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 what people are willing to pay. Sorry. Um, and uh, uh, this is it's just it's idiocy, frankly. It's just idiocy that we're going to just throw more money at this situation from the from the federal government that has to borrow it to go do it rather than go at the root cause. Yeah, and there's some different ideas on how to do that. In one of them, you've got these three liberal interventionists, basically, with their proposals. Congress members Mike Thompson of California, John Larson of Connecticut, and Lauren Underwood of Illinois. They've got this faulty premise that they keep spouting out that high gas prices started with Putin. Thompson, in fact, said, quote, the Putin price hike is putting strain on our economy, and I am proud to provide middle-class Americans with monthly payments to ease the financial burden of this global crisis. So they're couching this as saving the middle class from a problem that they arguably, their liberal policies help cause this. So at least here in America, the gas crisis could be solved in other ways, don't you think? Like reducing government involvement and let the free market it work right absolutely i mean this is more of pelosi price hike than anything right and and a joe biden price hike uh this uh this is the uh, this is the beginnings and origins of of all of this and rather than gimmicky things like suspending uh gas tax whether it's at the state or the federal level frankly because that's all tied to infrastructure uh, rather than just suspending gas tax for a temporary amount of time, rather than just sending a gas card uh, to, to hurting families, how about we actually lower the cost from four something per gallon back down to two something a gallon? Uh, not to mention, you know, in the high one dollars, uh, that would be helpful. But you know that 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 isn't how they think, right? They they literally believe, well, we're just going to take all these actions. We're not going to really look at the consequences of it. Oh, and then when something like this, people not being able to afford uh, uh, fuel pops up or food pops up, we'll just send them another stimulus check. We'll just send them another government program and uh, and solve it. It doesn't solve it. It exacerbates it. Michigan State's basketball season ended opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, losing in the round of 32 to Duke and their legendary outgoing coach, Mike Krzyzewski. Michigan State's own legendary coach, Tom Izzo, reflects on the season with Steve Courtney and Paul W. Smith. I'd say the first 20 games where I thought we played pretty well and very competitive, and then we you know, we had a five, six, seven game stretch uh, where we uh, didn't play as well and uh, defense kind of 
left us the turnovers and then these last five or six games uh you know i thought we we competed better we turned the ball over last night it was seven we had four and six and eight in the last couple games and i did a heck of a job on that but uh all in all uh our effort yesterday was superb we had you know you got a team down five with five minutes left i guess the only thing i can say is Hats off to Duke. I mean, we we told them in the meetings, we told them before the game, you know, we got to keep this game uh, close. And uh, in the last 10 minutes, uh, you know, if it's a two-point game either way, then then the pressure goes on them. And uh, we've seen it the last couple times with Duke where they uh, it happened against North Carolina, then it happened in their conference tournament where they lost games that way. And, we thought uh, with five minutes left, we were up. And uh, uh, like a champion, though, I'll give Mike credit, give their team credit. They uh, they bounced back, and uh, I think they made their last five shots, and uh, we just couldn't get it done. So disappointing, but the final score wasn't addictive of the game, but a loss is a loss. Obviously, uh, the subplot to this tilt coach was uh, you getting together with Coach K. Obviously, uh, everybody knows what's on the line for him as he uh, leaves this storied program after uh, a long time, 42 years or so. Um, how uh, emotional as this as it, we led up to this tilt and then once the game began, uh, did that weigh on you? You know, um, not really. I mean, uh, it was an interesting weekend. You know, we had the Davidson game with Foster, of course, who, uh, you know, I think you saw after the game the respect our team had for him. And, um, you know, and we played uh, two games, uh, kind of two home games for those two teams, and that was interesting. So there was a lot of sub subplots, none bigger than, of course, Mike and and uh, we talked for a minute before the game, but, you know, it was one of those things that I think coaches know, um, whether you respect a guy or not. Uh, you know, I think John Beeline and I went through this a lot at the end where uh, as long as you respect the guy, and um, and I do, and I do their program, uh, you know, uh, once the game started, it was uh, dog-eat-dog, you know, you try to win the game, and then when it's over, you... Uh, you know, I got a chance to talk to him for a second on the court, but a long time after uh, in the hallway uh, in the press conference. And, you know, you had to be sad for us, happy for him. I mean, what a storybook ending if we can it, it, uh, it, it, we, move on. We got to watch two of the greatest coaches in college basketball ever. And one of you was going to win, one of you was going to lose. And you never like losing, Tom Izzo. That's why you're so great and have done so well. But I sensed, I don't know exactly how to put this into words, Coach. I sensed a more realistic comfort level in this loss for you against this man who you've admired since you've been a coach than what you might have felt for somebody else. You have such love and respect for this guy. I'm not saying for a second you didn't want to win. You wanted to win, and you really tried to win, and you almost did win. It was those last five minutes that things didn't go as well as we hoped they would. But was there yeah, some you know, comfort in le- comfort in knowing that this is the guy you lost to? Well, I think any time you lose to someone you respect, and you respect the way we played. I mean, we played hard. We 
we we did a lot of good things. We made a couple mistakes down the stretch, but it was almost like day two. I mean, that's a talented team. I mean, there, you know, could be four pros on that team, and uh, they're a talented team, and and both teams played as hard and as well as they could play. Uh, 